Bueno, hola y bienvenidos to the Estás en el Puro Wyoming podcast or the EPW podcast. We had such an explosive session this past weekend discussing immigration and recapping components of episodes one and two that we had to split it up into two different parts. So this is going to be part one and we hope that you enjoy and please hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail to let us know what you think. And then in about a week, we will drop episode two. So this is part one of two of the immigration recap discussion. I hope you all enjoy. Bueno, bueno y bienvenidos to the Estás en el Puro Wyoming podcast. This is the podcast talking about all things Latino education, culture, politics, and beyond. I'm your host, Omar Yanar, and I'm joined uh, as always with the Carnales, and excited to have them back. Let me shout out first, welcome back to the EPW podcast, uh, Mr. Antonio Vigil coming to us from Denver, or as we affectionately call him V. What up, man? How you doing? Good, brother. Que Just want to say what's up to all the gente out there. Hope that you are enjoying what we share with you. And once again, we're going to break the knowledge like a tortilla hecho por mano. <laughs> like a hard-ass tortilla. Yo, V, you just, you, you start school again, brother? Yeah, we are already in a third week of school. So tomorrow's our third week of school. Um, I'm working in a school that has 22 different languages, 100% free and reduced lunch. Mostly Mexicano, Chicano, Latino scholars and African-American scholars. Title one school through and through. But yeah. really excited to get after it with them again. Right on. How are the first three weeks, brother? First few weeks have been really good. And I mean, obviously, later I'll have an opportunity to share some of the narratives of our scholars. Many of them, thankfully, have arrived to us um, from places that we're going to talk about today. A lot of gente from Honduras, from El Salvador, Nicaragua, um, from Mexico. And the stories that they bring to us um, are extremely pesado, bien heavy. And we'll have an opportunity to talk about that because I think one of the things that I really want us to really focus in on and, and just really broadcast clearly is the necessity for our voice and the stories to be told and shared. That's what's up. But it's been really good. It's been good to welcome them and their families are just incredibly grateful and thankful. And we're incredibly grateful and thankful that they're with us and they've chosen our team and family to be part of. You're doing the hard work, man. Uh, yeah. And it's been it's been a lifetime of incredible work. So I'm assuming that as as proud as you are to do the work, those parents and those families and the students are ecstatic to have you. We miss you out here in EP, brother. Yeah, miss you out there too, man. I uh, yeah, definitely miss Chukota. One day soon. Yes, sir. AB Andrew Benitez, you coming to us Seven. all the way from Cambridge, as Cambridge, Massachusetts? <laughs> what the hell you doing out in Cambridge, as Cambridge? Yeah, that is the official name of Cambridge. <laughs> Cambridge, as Cambridge, get it right. Uh, I'm I'm back in Cambridge. Uh, I was uh, visiting Providence last weekend, but back in Cambridge. Uh, tomorrow is day one of uh, my doctoral program at Harvard, the Graduate School of Education. Get it. Uh, so I'm entering into the Doctorate of Education Leadership Program. Uh, really, really excited about it. Um, but, you know, this is an opportunity for me to connect with you guys and 
uh, really have some critical conversations uh, that are so important for me being so far away. And I miss you guys. I miss, uh, miss the community uh, just like you all. And uh, I miss the location, the geography of, of El Paso. But I get to experience a little bit just by talking to you guys. So I appreciate it. Yeah, man. We miss you too, man. We miss your laugh. We miss your strength. We miss your musk. When this is all over, you and me should get an apartment together. I'm all right with that. Because <laughs> uh, the rent is damn high in Cambridge as Cambridge. I could use another room. Yeah, but we're we're excited for you. One of the things that I think is particularly important is that you are going to be one of the microscopic few. And when I say microscopic, I mean less than 1% of Latinos across the country with a doctorate, which I think is is an immense honor, but also a call to arms for all of us to say, you know, that every single one of us deserves the opportunity at higher education. Mm -hmm. That's why we're in education. You know, college may not be for everybody, but we got to make an equity of opportunity available for our carnales and carnalas to get to that point if they want to. So we're proud of you, brother. It's amazing. Speaking of speaking of badasses, man. So we got a guest on the show this week. And the best way to describe this man, Valentin Sandoval, is this man is a true artist. He's a rare gem in our community. Valentin's been involved in film, poetry, writing, and art since a very young age. So this cat started his career by winning UTEP's very first independent filmmaking award back in 1996 and won first place for a documentary at UTEP's International Film Festival in 2006. And the Valentin, how do you say this? Rascache film? Rascuache. 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 Rascuache that he called The South Sun Rises. And uh, he's currently finishing a book or already finished a book. He'll probably talk a little bit about it called The Power of the Past. Now, this is my favorite part about my man, Valentin. Not only is he my neighbor, he's right behind us at the school, but the New Yorker called this man the most important Lantino you don't know about. So ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce our guest this week, a scholar, a poet, a genius, my man, Valentin Sandoval. What's up? What's, what's up, fellas? What what's, up? Hey, this is, uh, uh, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 they, I was gonna say that this is, uh, it's an honor to be with you guys, a, a whole, you know, just three chingones that are out doing their thing. And in Harvard, wow, I, I, last time I saw you, you were like a block away and I was saying, what's up to you? I didn't realize you I were- know. You were in uh, on the way up, uh, yeah. Wow, man! Right on, congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you, appreciate, awesome. It, appreciate it. And just to clear that, um, the most important New Yorker. That was really it. I was doing a documentary series for uh, uh, the Eliseo Medina and the SEIU, the union, and the New Yorker wrote about my boss being the most important Latino you don't know about. You know? Oh, okay, not, not me. <laughs> well, I mean, but, you're the most important Latino people should should know about, brother. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> so. Talk to me a little bit, V, like, or Valentin. V's our man in Denver, man. You're Valentin. Valentin, talk to me about this book that you, I think, have finished yes. almost writing at this point. Yes. What is this? It's a story of, of Don Shapiro, who's 
uh, a New Yorker from, uh, from the Bronx. He came here 64 years ago and he brought his wife with him, Bobby Shapiro. And it's their life le in legacy and, and talking about how he was one of the pioneers of El Paso and Juarez's largest industry, which was patent manufacturing. And, and uh, so he had started a company called Action West and he had it for about 29 years. And he, he was one of the major players. He rode with Jaime Bermudez and Juarez, and they tried to get him to, to start the Maquila Parks in, in, uh, in Juarez. And he decided to do his own thing in El Paso. And through, you know, and, and I, I joke around saying that, you know, we all talk about the seven degrees or six degrees of separation to, to Kevin Bacon, right? Yeah. And, 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 and the Frontera, it's really to Don Shapiro. He, he, he played a role in a lot of people's lives and, and, and helping out Ceci Levine and, and, uh, and, and work with, uh, with Woody Hawk back in the day, Jim Shares father used to work for him. And he's, he's a classic salesman that had a lot of charisma and just came down here and was one of the major players by simply being himself. So that's the, the gist of yeah. my second book. Right on, man. And I mean, not to make this completely selfish, but you were telling me that he had mentioned my father, who is the owner of La Fogata restaurant Absolutely. in Juarez a couple of times. We, I hope favorably. Oh, I, 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 I remember your, your, your story. You told us over lunch how, how he dealt with thefts. You know, yeah, thieves, rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thieves we made a public spectacle out of it in the parking lot. Yeah, I want to get me, into me details. Yeah, I got a kick out of that. That was really cool. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah we wrote about La Fogata in the book. It comes out when we first That's met. Up, yeah. Bermudez, I met at La Fogata. Yeah. That was the place, dude. I mean, there was more business done in Fogata during lunch than there was a week in the office from where I heard. Yeah, but the stories were crazy. Uh, so we appreciate you being here, Valentin, a true warrior for, for Chicanos in this country, yeah, a true yeah, poet you. creating power of the past. Speaking of warriors, dude, we got a very um, – this man – is just a, a veritable badass in the Paso community, uh, does an, an incredible job of bringing voice to Latinos and particularly in music. We got Richie Marufo with us here today. He's uh, not on the mic right now because the man is sound engineering, but I want to give him a chance to at least say hello, introduce himself, and talk a little bit about some of the projects he does for El Paso, Chuco Town, and the Chicano community here. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Um, <laughs> didn't expect that. I should have set up a mic, huh? Um, <laughs> cool, yeah. Richie Marufo, I'm uh, currently the project director of the Barbed Wire Open Mic Series, El Paso's longest-running open mic. And really, that's just a, a platform for anyone in the community who has something that they want to share, whether it be through poetry, storytelling, music, even dance. We've had all sorts of great performers in, in all these years. And um, through that, I've been able to branch out to other projects, and, and that's really cool. Uh, earlier we were talking about the, the TV show, 306 Sessions, which is a, a local music showcase, trying to bridge the gap between the music scene and maybe people at home you know, watching TV and just trying to highlight the, the positive events going on here in the city of El Paso and, and, and the region. Um, of course, I'm also an educator. And so that's, that's a real, real uh, interesting thing for me. I teach English at, at Rio Grande, EPCC. And uh, yeah, I love it. Right Love to be here. Thank you for giving me that time. Claro, dude. Yeah. And this podcast is all about bringing voice, I think, to carnales, carnalas, folks who oftentimes don't have a voice. You hear the voice of so many folks in this country, and oftentimes it's the Latino voice that isn't prominently displayed. I'm, I'm, I'm excited that we hear more of it, even on NPR these days. However, it is of incredible importance to us 
the EPW podcast, the Estás en Puro Wyoming podcast, to bring power and voice about Latino issues where otherwise we're not hearing it. So we're happy to have you here. And if you ever want to chime in on this podcast, absolutely. So I want to shout out, he's not with us this time around. He's kind of taking off the training wheels, but we got to shout him out anyways, because we love him. Our producer, Charles Cole, out in Oakland. He's probably right now in the midst of the Eight Black Hands podcast. And if y'all haven't heard the Eight Black Hands podcast, this podcast is fire. It's our brother podcast. Uh, four brothers coming to coming to you from all across the country talking about educational issues in the black community. And yo, it is it is hot fire. This entire podcast brings to you stats, relevant information, history, things that you have not probably heard about. And that is really what we're doing here. And if you have something to say to us, because we'd love to hear from you, don't forget to give us uh, either a shout out or tell us what's on your mind. You can hit us up at epwpodcast at gmail.com at EPW podcast on Twitter or on Instagram, the underscore EPW podcast. So before we get into our major topic today, because we're going to dive deep into this issue, our listeners, thank you for hitting us up. They wanted a little bit more clarity into two different situations that we recently talked about. The first was the incident past midnight at a Whataburger in San Antonio, Texas. We kind of quickly discussed what happened and then talked about the ramifications. But I want to give the mic up to AB a little bit to provide just a little bit more detail into set us up, AB. What were these folks doing? What happened? And let's just go quickly into the detail of what occurred because our listeners were like, what, what? I I didn't understand who was involved and what happened and what? Like, who is throwing putazos a la la madre, la PG Whataburger? (laughs) I was like, all right, man, we'll come back to this. So AB, what what happened at Whataburger in San Antonio? Straight from the no mames files, uh, we, had this, <laughs> we had this incident in, uh, in San Antonio where two of our local uh, superintendents of the largest school districts in El Paso were actually out there for a leadership conference. So they were out there for, for work purposes. Was this Alas or what were they at? Because I know it segued uh, into a superintendent conference at uh, TEA specifically um, Alas Uh, I'm not sure what but I don't think it was Alas but they were out there along with plenty of other superintendents and district leadership from around the state and you know somehow they found their way because there's no Cometa in San Antonio (laughs) La Cometa (laughs) yo if if y'all don't know what Cometa is y'all need to see Fifth Family Paso you will see the craziest ass videos of Chicanos gone wild and shit like this is a flauta joint that's open till 4 a.m. And let's just say that things get nuts after like 2 a.m. But go ahead, brothers. There ain't no cometa in San Antonio. No cometa. There's no chico. So they end up at the <laughs> Whataburger. And uh, apparently the, the story goes as such is that uh, the Sleta superintendent uh, approached the Socorro superintendent and criticized his clothing. The guy was wearing something like Adidas sweatpants and sneakers. And says, where are you going for? You going to soccer practice? And uh, <laughs> that's how I imagine it sounded. Um, you going back to the 90s or what? Uh, right here. Like uh, a fight at Western Playland and Impossible. 
Yeah, right outside the big cheese. So <laughs> the story goes as such that he insults him or something and then ends up uh, headbutting the Socorro superintendent. And the Socorro superintendent, uh, in response to the headbutt, uh, in self-defense, uh, punched the Sleda superintendent, fell to the ground. It was quickly broken up. Uh, but the police uh, who responded said the Isleta superintendent had strong indication of intoxication of alcohol. I mean, they could smell it on him. They could see it in his eyes, uh, which, you know, why are we surprised at this? The Socorro superintendent declined to press charges. And so they didn't, I mean, they, they didn't arrest um, the Isleta superintendent. And so, I mean, this made the news. It, it made the rounds uh, through various news cycles, including El Paso's own TMZ, uh, Fifth Am El Paso on Instagram. And, you know, the story got out that these two superintendents had been uh, in a fight. And the, the big question in the El Paso community was going to be, so what's going to happen? I mean, yeah. you start to read these comments in the, in the news articles and they're like, <laughs> all right. So every dude who'd ever been suspended for fucking fighting, <laughs> excuse my language, every dude who'd been suspended is like, so what's going to happen to the superintendent then? Are they going to get expelled? Are they going to get suspended? <laughs> <laughs> some some dude was like, oh yeah, give that puto ISS. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to Keys Academy or what? What's going on? <laughs> you know, and every parent who's like, whose kid has ever like, maybe been picked on or been bullied or whatever, just been involved in a physical altercation. It's like, so my kid gets suspended. What's about to happen to this dude who's supposed to be yeah, in charge right. of right. the entire district and a role model for all of our students to, to follow? And so we finally found out, and, and I wanted to make sure I looked this up online to make sure I got the, the real information, and I found it. This is great. Uh, on the New York Post. This is how far mm. it's reached. Yeah, the New York Post. Uh, Not and the, the Times, the Post. No, 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 the Post. No. <laughs> yeah, isn't that like, you know, the, like the mock Spider-Man magazine? Like, read it here on the Post, all the latest <laughs> gossip. <laughs> Yeah, New York Times is all the news that's fit to print. This is not that. But, <laughs> the post is a shit on the floor exactly. underneath the birdcage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is uh, going back to... Uh, Anyhow, uh, the New York Post, and they reported that um, the Southern Independent School District, they suspended uh, their superintendent for three days uh, without pay. And they did it for him not promptly telling the board about the June altercation. So the fact that you're out in San Antonio on, on work purposes, that you got drunk, went to the Whataburger and reportedly headbutted uh, a neighboring school district superintendent, that didn't get you in trouble. But the fact that you didn't speak up about it and tell the board members before it made the New York Post, that gets <laughs> So he got three days uh, without pay. And um, I this mean, man got two minutes timeout at the hockey rink or yeah, promotion got, in the fucking octagon and shit. Yeah, so yeah. did they engage in a restorative conversation afterwards? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was no pay it back. Uh, there was none of that. I guess financially he paid it back. But yeah, this is something that. I mean, understandably, I think people in the community were saying, you know, I've been in that situation, right? The expectations are this high for me. Or imagine working at a certain level within the district, like, man, if I pulled that mess, I, I wouldn't have a job today. Yeah. 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 No way. Right. 
No way. Here's what I want to know, man, is like, what is it about the politics there in Chuco that are different from elsewhere? Because if that shit would have happened here in Denver, guaranteed he would have been, both of them would have been on blast and completely removed from their positions. Guaranteed. Damn. What's going so, on? So Isleta, Isleta's harder than Socorro. I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the, the takeaway is that. <laughs> Why don't they just make it an annual event, bro? And then they can invite people to go. Yeah, dude, get the hell out there. Let's go check this out. Who needs football, man? That's right, man. Come on, man. El Paso's a boxing town. Puro Golden Gloves. Let's get out there. Put some gloves on these compas. I, I think I, I don't have an answer to your question. I, I can say that, unfortunately, these communities and Socorro has been a hotbed of just absolute corruption for for a while now. And it's the kind of thing where we are wanting to exalt Latino leadership and make sure that Latino leadership is at the forefront. Because as we said in the first podcast, it's amazing that we have these positions because years ago we couldn't imagine Latino superintendents. However, this all goes back to, you know, the story that we all heard, tienes que vestirte tres veces mejor, mijito, partarte tres veces mejor, translated, when you're Latino in this country, you got to dress three times better, act three times better, because ultimately we are being viewed by outside of our community in a very certain lens. You know, in Chuco, we can be doctors and lawyers and everything else, and we hope to be acknowledged as people all over the country. But shit, dude, I go into Palo Alto and someone's like, hey, man, how much for doing the yard? I'm like, oh, like, what, dude? And he's like, yeah, he was like treating me like a jardinero. And I was like, brother, like, I'm in school here, man. <laughs> like, I can do your garden, but I charge 75 bucks an hour, brother. <laughs> like, I'm happy to trim the edges on La Chingada, but and <laughs> we try to look out for our community, but we should be the ones holding them accountable, and that's why we bring it up on this podcast, because we yeah. should be the first holding them accountable and each other accountable. Come on, man. You can't get into a fucking fight in the middle of Whataburger and shit in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like, this ain't Steven Seagal versus Jean-Claude Van Damme. This is Latino leadership. And we should be holding our holding ourselves up to a higher standard. Correct. But uh, I want to transition into uh, one last thing before we get into our main subject. So the Basso shooting, the massacre at Walmart, as it's been called several times, happened on August third, and we are now August eighteenth. So we're about two weeks out from the event. There's been a lot of processing and some very interesting realizations coming to the surface that I want to discuss, but I want to shoot it out to, to AB and V and Valentin a bit before I, I chime in about how do you feel two weeks out? What are some of the revelations that you've had and some updates for our listeners about what's going on here in, in Chuco, both good and I would say alarming. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I can't speak as much, and probably Omar and Valentin and um, and team. You guys can speak a little more about how it's going in Chuco. I think that I feel I feel removed. And B, I don't know if you feel the same way being in Denver. You know, you have all the information, but I, I'm not there. I'm not present. And so, yeah. I mean, I'm reading from the El Paso Times, right? I'm reading from like the New York Times about my hometown, and and I'm not there. 
Mm. So it's a strange sort of feeling to be processing uh, from far away now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm reading up on it. You know, what's helped me is a bit of time and processing with people, uh, talking with folks about it, keeping up with the news, which is something we naturally, you know, will always do. Um, you know, not to to veer off too much, but you know, the news about, I'm sure y'all heard about the, the football situation that, uh, the school district where the shooter went to school canceled a football game against an El Paso team because they were afraid of retaliation. So let's talk about that. I was yeah. just talking about that with, uh, with a carnal Cassandra, who was our, our guest last week and she sends her, her regards. She's, uh, taken some, so much reserved R and R, but AB, tell us a little bit about this. So this is a football team out in Plano, Texas. Absolutely, and they were going to play against the football team here in El Paso, and it was the Plano, Texas team that said, "In this some shit, we don't feel comfortable coming into your community because of what just happened." Right. So what did you read? Because I got a couple comments about that. So to, to clarify here, I mean, leadership matters, um, not the exactly the Plano high school players uh, or their coach, but the superintendent, mm. the superintendent of Plano ISD said, even though admitting that there weren't credible threats, there's the fear of the community that right. there might be some sort of attack um, and that they didn't have proper security measures because right. the shooter came from that high school in, in that district. So they canceled it. Um, I mean, this made uh, national news as well. And I think that the, the Dallas Cowboys organization uh, offered the star stadium for both teams to play against one another. So the game is back on, um, but just seeing folks, you know, on social media and their responses to it, you know, the, the hurt is there. Like, is this what you really think about us? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I want to say really quickly, because I know V's shaking his head, Melanie may have something to say, just the, in my opinion, just the sheer hypocrisy. So let me share something with you all who may not be listening to us from Texas. The shooter that came into El Paso is from Allen, Texas. Allen, Texas is north of Dallas. Allen, Texas is seven miles north of Plano. It is a 12-minute drive. So the superintendent of Plano has the fucking effrontery to say, hey, we don't feel safe in your community when it is literally your community who sparked this person, this hate, this racism, and migrated it over to El Paso and caused us this damage and you don't feel safe in our community brother i should have canceled your football team gave you a call and said brother listen i don't feel comfortable with a bunch of people from plano coming to a fossil because the last time this happened we had a shooting at walmart so maybe y'all should stick to yourselves right now until we figure things out because the fuck if I feel comfortable with these outsiders coming in right now into our community and they're telling us we don't feel safe, 
That's some bullshit. That is some absolute bullshit. And what it is is politicizing a situation that should have been politicized. He had the opportunity to create love, to yep. inspire a football game that would have created unity, and instead decided to incite the very same fear that our president, our ex-attorney general, and everyone else that wrote this manifesto is talking about. And you're just exasperating the situation. And to that, I'd say, all right, Superintendent Plano, give me a call why don't we talk about this because I think you made a very terrible decision and you should apologize to, to our city and to our boys on that football team here in Basel. straight up absolutely yep absolutely all right man all right V uh Valentin you guys ready to segue in yes yeah, Valentin, right. go ahead and pick it up bro because I I feel like, you know, I want to hear and people need to hear like that voice more exclusively from those who've been directly affected by it. Mm. So, right. And I'll share my thoughts just kind of high level. Okay. Okay. What? Well, when um, I was at Eloise with uh, Don Shapiro going over some, some no changes on the manuscript and uh, we finished up after an hour. And then I got a I get a text and seeing if uh, not to go by the Cerro Vista Mall yeah. area from a friend of mine and it's like a mass text right and all of a sudden I look into it and I tell Don there's a shooting at at a Walmart that just happened right now and uh, we both just you know just trying to figure out what's what's next and uh, I, I you know we just kept writing on the book and and then I I got more information from it and and so I, I took you know we finished our session I took him home. I drove to my studio to park the pass and I had my friend in from LA. I told him, let's, you know, get your camera, let's go and shoot some footage and let's figure out what's going on. So we literally drove to, to uh, the Hawkins exit, got off and you couldn't go, obviously you couldn't, you couldn't go to the you know east. So um, north we went south and, I, and we parked and there was two choppers roaming around. One was higher, one was lower. My friend's got a monopod, like this one, like black, you know, bazooka looking tripod and, 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 a, and, a, and a camera on that. So we went ahead and, and went to, you know, get some footage. And one of the choppers is straight out of Apocalypse Now or one of these movies, man. Like he just hovered, you know, two, three hundred feet above us. And uh, he just, you know, with a big machine gun, just pointed down just to see who we were. And he takes off. So for that brief moment, I was pretty pretty insane having that that happen and then and it, the feeling was just so so ominous and and, uh, and and horrible the whole night I had two shoots planned that day of course both were canceled and uh, we just came to the studio Richie shows up you know the, the regulars here at Pirate the Past we all show up just to convene and and talk and you know the feeling was something that was we couldn't we couldn't talk about it it was something you just had to feel through and make sure your families are all right make sure you know everything is is and we went to the press conference when when abbott came in you know and 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 for some reason they they, for some reason they 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 kicked me out and i i go i go i go with my crew right and then uh you know and they're shooting and i'm and i'm shooting with my my iphone and then one of the officers, the cops, comes up and he asks me if I have my press pass. Mm. I do, but I left it in my studio. I just, I didn't, I didn't get yeah. off. So I, you know, I'm like, I don't have it technically. So he's like, you gotta step off. And, and so I went down, and and then my friend showed me that they had that image of just me filming with my iPad on, yeah. on, on the Vice. You know, it, it came out on, on the series that they had, and uh, it just seemed really, really surreal. I mean, it was you're so detached from it because you can't believe what's happening, and the staging of this whole scenario. Was uh, was just bizarre, you know. You you see, 
you see, uh, you know, Abbott and, and the mayor doing their thing and talk, you know, emphasizing what they're emphasizing. And, uh, and you just come back and the whole, the whole, the next day I got to, well, that same night, I got to call at 1030 at night from one of the people from the Bethel campaign to see if I can help them with, with audio. They're going to have mm. a presentation at Las Americas yeah. with uh, Manuel Oliver, who, you know, who was doing this whole crusade for his son's death in Florida. And, uh, and so me and Richie stepped up, we, we got the, we got the mics, we got the whole setup and we went to their, their, their whole procession. So ever, ever since that day, my, the best way I can deal with it is through some kind of catharsis. Cause otherwise all exists in my own head and you'll, you'll, you'll feel all the, you know, everything, everything going on. And, and so every day I've been involved in it somehow. And I've been shooting, I've been, mm-hmm. I've been posting up things that are not necessarily your, you know, your EP strong, you know, right. fist up thing. It's more me telling a narrative, trying to gain control of the narrative before, you know, before, uh, you know, this is within my own spectrum. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been in, intense and then some. It's, I feel you. And as we go through the emotions and I want to, I'll give the mic to, to be in a second to kind of talk about some higher level stuff. I want to discuss the fact that there is a, a vigil, this past Wednesday at Southwestern University's stadium, this is where the Chihuahuas play. And it was an opportunity I felt, I hoped, where we could venerate and remember the victims, the 22 victims and also the nine victims in Dayton. And I got to tell you, half of me felt very excited to venerate these folks. And the other half of me was also in real time disgusted by how our governor used this and how our mayor used this to politicize the situation. Mm. Our governor never once, this is Governor Greg Abbott, uh, he never once discussed gun violence. He said that he was gonna bring together a committee to figure things out. And I'm like, you need a committee of people to figure out that hate and racism plus guns. This is a cat that had over a million dollars in donations from the NRA. Ted Cruz, John Cornyn, both our senators, same thing, both over million dollar contribution from the NRA. So we don't hear them talking anything about gun violence and using it as a platform to try to once again dispel the situation into mental health when there's no record of mental health whatsoever in this individual who I will not name or the majority of these shooters who do not have histories of mental health. To make matters worse, our mayor, DeMargo, who I thought was really going to step up, decided to also politicize the situation. So he said that it was his duty to meet with Trump, that it was his you know, mayoral duty. I'm like, okay, I got that. And then that isn't exactly what I'm upset about, is that he didn't take the opportunity to discuss this situation in front of his town and in front of Trump, backing up his people. La gente. He threw the gente underneath the bus, not really taking a side and really kind of talking about Republican talking points, not talking about gun violence, not trying to piss off the 5% of the voter turnout that came out and voted for him in a slim election in May and not trying to upset his major funders and ultimately just stayed in this very neutral position and a disappointed our entire town because 
brother, you represent El Paso. It was an 82% Latino town. And you decided to play political favors for your Republican donors instead of standing up for the gente and talking about what this community feels and talking not just to the president, but to the national press about gun violence and all the various issues of hatred and racism that have come in and the the, really the culmination of the two, but then used this whole discussion with Trump and this rhino situation. He was apparently called a Republican in name only by Trump. And that's what he decided to blow up. So our mayor decided to blow that up in order to gain national attention for his own mayoral race that he's going to be in dire jeopardy of winning in 2020, because now the mayoral race has jumped from May to November, November 2020. He is not going to have a very good chance of winning. Omar, let me, let me jump in. I got to I got to like, ask. Yeah. yeah, I got to ask because I'm ah, man, I, I, I wish that I could have been there. And, and you know, you were and uh, I just what I'm hearing came from. This is stuff that the mayor said at that memorial, yeah. at that vigil, at the park. These are all things that he talked about. No, he did not discuss the rhino at the vigil, thank God. Okay. Um, okay. The, the vigil, and I appreciate you circling back, the vigil was about, I think, an hour and a half long. And for an hour and 20 minutes, it was just political speeches. And granted, I thought that the governor of Chihuahua and the mayor of Juarez did an incredibly good job. They spoke in Spanish. They went right to the issue of hate, racism and gun violence and talking about making sure that we pass sound policy to start getting rid of weapons of war from individuals and buying AR-15s at a gun show for about 350 bucks without any background check. These are things that they spoke about. Abbott, the mayor, they never mentioned gun violence once. They were using this as political stump speeches. And then that left a whole 10 minutes to venerate the 22 people who lost their lives in El Paso. And I was just shell shocked because the hour and a half should have spent the entirety of that time on the people and the victims and the families who lost their lives on August 3rd. I wanted to see an hour and a half of their stories, who they were, their contributions to their community. And I wanted nothing of a political slant. And they took this opportunity to start coming up there and giving political speeches. And it's, it's frankly just embarrassing. And I expect much better. I expected much more from them to venerate those that we lost instead of using it as a platform for their own political advantage. But with, with such um, empty leadership from our governor and from our mayor, I, I can't, I, I, sh- I shouldn't expect more out of two flunkies who know nothing about public policy and shouldn't be in those positions to begin with. You know, it's one of the, one of the things that, that uh, Don Shapiro, who's 92 today. Right. And, and when, when that happened, he, he was really pissed at the mayor's reaction or lack thereof. He saw 22 people that just been murdered. And this is the way that he's all, he's all, I'm so glad I, I took him on because we were part of the, yeah. the mayor's race with, with David Salcedo back in, in when, they, when they went at it. Mm. And uh, he was just really like, yeah, this guy's this guy empty and he's got no business, no business in that position. Yeah. Not, not here. Yeah. Not as a leader. He, 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 doesn't understand what public policy really is to begin with. So not as an effective executive and certainly not as a moral leader 
and he has disappointed this community as the leader in this situation, ruined an opportunity at the park to spend an hour and a half, just an hour and a half on these families and yeah. used it for his own political advantage. It's disgraceful. So I want to segue over to, to V to kind of wrap this segment up. And then I want to get into our main story of what we're going to discuss today. V? Yeah, I have a lot to say, man. But more than anything, I just want everyone to know, um, especially in Chuco Town and El Paso, um, that I had the incredible opportunity to spend an entire year there and working with you brothers at El Paso Leadership Academy. El Paso is one of the most extraordinary places I've ever been. I consistently reminded people um, when they told me, aren't you afraid? Aren't you fearful? Aren't you apprehensive? Number of people here in Denver and other people that I know in different circles had talked about this sort of fear that supposedly going to El Paso or being in the borderlands invokes. And I told them these are by far the most incredibly community-minded, community-supporting, loving, caring people that I have met in a long time. But the cohesiveness of the culture in El Paso reminded me of what Denver looked like 30, 40 years ago when I was coming up and everybody knew each other. The neighborhoods have not been broken up Gentrification, although it's coming into Central El Paso and other places, has not disrupted the everyday lives. The everyday social lives of people there has been sustained, and it's been sustained generation after generation. And the more important point, I think, to really bring up, too, is that it is not an immigrant city in the sense that there is this sort of deliberate crossover from one place to the other, especially around nation states. The fact is, is that people have been there yeah. occupying that place and that geopolitical area for thousands of years. So I think it's important for us to remember that we as, whether you want to call yourself Latinx, mm-hmm. Chicanx, Mexicano, whatever you decide to call yourself, the fact of the matter is, is that it is incredibly important for us to acknowledge that we have a pre-Columbian history and the borderlands area as we know it now, because that is the result of really oppressive national and state politics that has created that. But anybody who is there and anybody who has visited understands that there is a harmony that exists between Ciudad Juarez and El Paso. And I think that's something that most people don't recognize and understand. But I, having been there and having been part of what I consider to be the community and people welcoming in, I mean, it was just unbelievable. So my love and my solidarity stand strong with, you know, the gente with El Paso Strong. And I... All those lessons that I was taught around cariño and, and welcoming and, yeah. you know, the most kind and caring and like incredibly generous people is that one of the things that we have to remember is that in our society, and this is one of the things that, you know, in our society, we're taught that it's the accumulation of goods and wealth and products that really determines our value. In El Paso, it's about what you give away and your mm. generosity. Mm. That's the one thing that people don't understand. And I really dislike the fact, the way in which the people in El Paso and just the borderlands in general, as supposedly a zone of like incredible danger and heightened violence and 
paranoia that's generated by the state, generated by the media and the press. Yep. It's completely unfounded. And it's also it's actually part of a larger strategy and tactic for us to really criminalize and in some cases completely suppress and repress the voices that need to be heard because anybody who spent time there, anybody who's from there knows that it's a humanizing process and it's a humanizing space. So I just want to say that I send my love, I send my wishes and I feel deeply, deeply moved to become much more mindful about how my actions here in Denver can really begin to help us in the spirit of healing and the spirit of critical consciousness um, to continue to empower our youth. And that's the biggest reason why we're here. We're talking about these issues because our young people are looking to themselves and they're looking to our community. And sadly, when they look to their government and they look to the leaders in power, from the superintendent all the way to POTUS, they can see that there is an irreconcilable difference in what justice is supposed to be, in what empowerment is supposed to be, and how they can create an identity that has value and that is humanized. And so I just want to say, like, you know, we have to continue to make sure that we acknowledge this event for what it is, and we have to make sure that we continue to humanize and to find solidarity in our strength and our voice. Exactly. And for me, that's that's what it's all about. And yeah, brother, I, I sorry to interrupt, man. I just got yeah, no worries. So much, thank you so much because you are you're making me miss home and remember home so much. And it's tough, man. It, it's tough uh, having that sense of community and being. I mean, I chose to, you know, go into a different place that doesn't have that. But I think that also you're the type of voice where, you know, people think so poorly about El Paso and our community and our people. Um, and I think you say the superintendent all the way to the POTUS. I mean, how about our mayor? How's that for representative yeah. of our spirit yeah. and our culture? Forget that he doesn't know policy. Forget he doesn't know that. He doesn't represent the spirit of our people and of our yeah. community. I don't care what racial or ethnic background you have. You don't represent us. Um, but you do, man. And I appreciate the fact that you shouting out your time in El Paso and letting people know in Denver and abroad like who we are, who we have always been before the shooting, after the shooting, before the football game, after the football game. No, nah, man, this is who we've always been, and this is who we'll continue to be. Um, I just appreciate I that. so much and for your kind words, man. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, that was I beautiful, man. Sure, yeah. And I, V, I think you gave us a really great segue into our main topic this week. We are going to dip into the Mississippi raids, ICE, immigration, the detention centers, and the current conditions here in El Paso, because El Paso is ground zero.